This is Frank About Sports, a.k.a. The Old Man. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. Hey, Andrew. Yeah? You know what Frank About Sports and... Daniel Vogelbach's ABs have in common. They both have a lot of bad takes. I hate you so much. Sorry. Episode 23, Mets Weekly Podcast, Brutal Honesty for 60 Minutes, begins right now. Intro rolls. So before we begin, y'all know the drill by now. Make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for content throughout the week. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, all of our individual links that are in the description. The Mets played better than last week, but that's not really saying much. We, we thought our season was turning around after a walk-off against the Yankees in the Subway Series to now the season's over, everyone needs to die in a ditch, and we suck again. So that's just a normal day and week in Mets land. And, uh, you know, we have a manager of the year. We've got a bunch of 40-year-old veterans that have a lot of Cy Young awards, and this is the team we have, So, and the team we need to enjoy. Yeah, sure. Another bad week. And as they continue to have you know more and more bad performances as the year goes on, uh, the possibility of them getting in the playoffs becomes less and less, uh, which makes the what they should do at the trade deadline different. I mean, we're talking about, you know, this team has a lot of holes, some things they need to upgrade, some things they need to improve on. But eventually, once it gets to a certain point, it's like, why would you even, you know, keep going out there with a team that isn't going to win and actually get better use of assets, better asset management, or something we've talked about a lot in previous episodes, uh, they're looking more towards that route right now. And they continue to just play so bad. And once again, I mean, we'll get into it with the series, but finding a lot of different ways to lose. And when you do stuff like that, you know, you could try to do this, the deadline, try to do that. But when you have so many things wrong at this point, it's not going to fix it. So I I think that, you know, as they just continue to play like this, it really makes the whole take on the deadline feel different. It's very interesting in terms of the deadline because we all had a lot of speculation of what they were going to do last year, and it didn't turn out to be something that we really enjoyed, and it wasn't something that we thought was enough to actually add to a team that was looking like they were going to contend. But at least that team was you know, in first place. This team is nowhere close to first place or even, you know. Yeah, they're dead. They're, they're just as close Definitely. to last place as they are a wild card spot. You know, they got quite a bad amount of teams that they have to jump. And they're just not playing good baseball right now at all. I feel like even though we have this pitch clock to speed up the game, these games are just so long. They're so long. And they just, they feel like they're just at three hours plus no matter what. And it just feels like, sh- it just feels like shit to watch, really. Uh, I was already full on exhausted by today's game. Uh, in the seventh inning. Yeah, it was like, how is this still in the seventh inning? We're three hours into this game because the pitching is so bad that it's been a problem, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, let's start off with the Subway Series. As the Mets began the week with a two-game set against their cross-city rival New York Yankees, in Game 1, the Mets would jump all over Luis Severino early with five earned runs in three innings, carried by a leadoff home run by Brandon Nimmo, and RBI hits from Brett Beatty and Jeff McNeil, giving the Orange and Blue a 5-1 to lead going into the fourth. But the 2023 Mets index 
Index repeats itself as Max Scherzer coughs up five runs in the next inning to give the Yankees a 6-5 to five lead, but the Mets would fire back as Luis Giorme would knock in an RBI single in the fifth, tie the game back at six, but not for long as multiple Mets defensive miscues would plate an unearned run in the sixth to lead the Yankees to a game one victory. In game two, Justin Verlander bounced back again with six innings of one run ball with six strikeouts. A pitcher's battle will be carried into the fifth, not before Tommy Pham, who is red hot, would start the scoring off with an RBI double. It pretty much got all crazy from there. More defensive miscues, a steal of home, a shift violation, and base running mistakes by the Mets to eventually tie the game up at three. To put this full-on sloppy game to bed in the bottom of the 10th, Brandon Nimmo would walk off the game with a RBI double to lead the Mets to a split of the two game sets. We split our World Series, you know, with a 50% chance of winning, which is pretty decent. But again, not loving game one. Scherzer's given a 5-1 to one lead, and most times with Max Scherzer in the past gets a 5-1 to one lead, he wins the game. But not this year, because of course not. He is now blown back-to-back games, at least 4-1 to one, against two of the best teams in baseball. I don't really care what he does against the Tigers and these bum-ass teams, which he got bombed by the Tigers as well. So you're just seeing a show that this guy's just done. Like, he's just cooked. And you're stuck with $38 million this year and $43 million this year $43 million next year because there ain't no way in hell he doesn't opt out, opt in to that big Latin next year term. Uh, again, more just defensive miscues and just sloppy team because this team is not good. Brandon Nimmo running the bases. He's Helen Keller. Brandon Nimmo in center field, dropping a fly ball like Helen Keller. But again, Starling Marte against the Yankees, just striking out. It's just those strikeouts. I guess he's got a little inning streak going that ended today, but some ugly ABs in the ninth inning against the Yankees. The bullpen has been the bullpen, you know, against, again, the mismanagement of well of Buck Showalter. Dominic Leone has looked better. That's nice to see. But again, when we're celebrating a bum-ass 13th man in a bullpen, that's a problem. You know, Lindor didn't do anything against his child that is the New York Yankees. It should be every, it seems like every time the Mets play the Yankees, Lindor plays them. He was nuts. He didn't do anything. Struck out in two big spots in both games. But again, it's just kind of, you get one, you get Verlander looking good in game two. That's good to see. You know, even though ESPN, you know, Brandon Nemo gets the big hit after making a bonehead decision on the base bats. And the Mets just continue to play sloppy ball. You know, when you're, when you're this team, you can't catch the ball. You can't run. We know this team ain't fast. Really not much to say about this team, especially in the Yankees series. Like, yeah, they got the win, but it's probably the shittiest win ever. But like most people say, at this point, you really can't bitch about wins because you don't win much. So you just got to take your win and say, you know what? Thank you. Move on. Like you said in, in the recap of it, you could just see the multiple different mistakes that they make, uh, whether it's in the field whether it's on the base pass, whether it's the starting pitching in Max Scherzer, whether it's the bullpen in Jeff Brigham, whether it's the lineup in Francisco Lindor. Like, again, they just find so many different ways to lose. Uh, they do so many things poorly. I mean, they've just played as overall bad team. And it's so frustrating when it is a guy like Max Scherzer because, you know, if it was somebody who is a no-name, not getting paid much, it's hard for me to just totally kill them because I don't have high expectations. But when they give the money that they give to Max Scherzer and they're counting on him to be a guy that game in, game out performs really well for you, and instead game in, game out performs really badly for you, that's a major problem. I mean, because it really just hampers you where you say, oh, the Mets have this huge payroll. 
But the guys that they're paying a lot of money are playing awful. Verlander pitched well, okay, but he's had plenty of just really bad starts as well. It's so inconsistent. You can't count on either one of those guys, uh, which what they're getting paid, you're supposed to rely on them every five days. So that's just been very frustrating. And then when you see how many different times that the bullpen has blown game after game, uh, even that second game against the Yankees, like you thought you had that game in the bag, you know, Nimmo makes the mistake and they almost blew it anyway that they had to walk it off in extra innings. So it's like even the games that they win can be a nail biter uh, just, just because of, you know, how many other things that they struggle with. So, I mean, as of right now, it's just been the same story far too often. You know, we've seen the same problems over and over and it's just been very frustrating because, you know, you split the series, but again, when you just barely win like that, you, you can tell that there are bigger problems that, okay, you got away with it this time, but you just know that going forward, you can't keep playing that I expect to win many games. I mean, and that's why they are, you know, plenty of games under 500 and still falling. Going into that first game with a 5-1 lead off of Severino, Severino did not look good whatsoever. They were taking advantage of it. It looked a little bit like the Mets from last year taking advantage of other teams' mistakes. By the end of that third inning, I had no confidence in us keeping that lead, especially throughout six innings. Then Scherzer just gives it all right back in just one shot. Now, I'm not going to go completely after the offense here because I don't think it's been the main problem recently, but there's still some problems. There is definitely some problems. You have to see Francisco Lindor pick it up a little bit. He needs to be a lot better. We didn't have Pete in the lineup, obviously. Beatty's definitely slowing down. You're just looking to piece together like crap to crap. Like whatever you can get is whatever you can get. And they're just going to do the bare minimum to win, but they're not winning that much. So it doesn't matter. I had absolutely no confidence in that first game whatsoever. Now in that second game, I knew once they took that lead, Verlander was going to give it right back. I just, you just knew that every time when they take a lead, the next inning, they just can't hold it. I don't know what it is if the older players just take this full of muscle relaxers or something, but they freaking suck right after they take the lead. My re main reaction to Scherzer, it really just, it was really, it's really hard to just break down anything going on with him. Whenever I see him blow up like this, and we've seen tons of blow ups this year, I'm just like, fuck you, man. Seriously, fuck you. Like, I, I mean, listen, I, I don't like to be a belligerent fan all the time or whatever. I'm, I'm tough on all, all the players or whatever. I'm very critical or whatever. But, like, straight up, fuck you, dude. Like, what the hell? We're giving you $43 million. We're at that, we're, again, we're at that level with Scherzer and Verlander where they have to perform and there's no other things that you need to articulate. You can't really make any excuses for these guys. They're both making $43 million, you know, coming off of, you know, career high seasons or whatever, you expect them to perform and they're not performing consistently whatsoever. Great. Verlander, a fantastic start in this series. What is he going to do the next time? Overall, we've seen a consistent Verlander of him just being bad, then good, then bad, then good, then bad, then good. That's literally just been his first eight starts as a Met. Overall, I mean, just these are not fun games to watch. They're just not a fun team to watch whatsoever. And it just seems like a full-on battle for them to actually win. Now, out of that entire Subway series, there is one detail that we did leave out. Before the top of the sixth inning on Tuesday, Mets reliever Drew Smith was ejected from the game by umpire Bill Miller for sticky substances before 
He even threw a pitch. Miller, after the game, said that, I don't know what it was. I just know it was sticky. Now, Smith explained that after the ejection, an MLB official checked his hand in the tunnel and he laughed and said that there's nothing there. This ejection implements an automatic 10-game suspension for Drew Smith, leaving the Mets one pitcher short on their 26-man roster. First, let's just push Drew Smith to the side because I know we all have very strong opinions about him. We'll get we'll get into him afterwards on the second go around. Whole this whole situation, what we heard from the umpire, I want to get into that. This is the second time we've seen it happen to a New York Mets pitcher this season. I haven't seen it happen to any New York Mets opponents. So I mean what's going on here? Uh I have a very hard time believing that there, you know, Drew Smith saying, oh there's nothing there. The guy in the tunnel tells me there's nothing there. What is he trying to say? Is there some kind of conspiracy against the Mets? I mean, <laughs> like the Mets have bad luck or something? That can't be possible. So, uh, I mean, I- I'm not really sure what to think into. I don't think that MLB has a thing out for the Mets because, you know what, uh, the Mets are playing really poorly right now. They're losing like crazy. It-, it doesn't make any sense for them just to make stuff up for Met pitcher to get ejected. So, I'm not with that. If it's to me, I think that Drew Smith, I would hope, he knows that he has gotten way too many opportunities and has not done well. So if he continues to do what he's doing, he's out of the league. He's out of a job. So he's like, you know what? I need to try something if I'm going to stay on any kind of major league team. Because other than that, like, why are they just catching it now in the middle of June? Why didn't they catch it last season, this season? So I, I just find the whole situation suspicious but not in the sense of you know is MLB out to get the Mets I find it more as what the heck is Drew Smith doing because uh you know what they said it it was sticky I mean like and the th- and the thing though I think that was like such a a bad look for Drew Smith Buck didn't argue it at all yeah at that's all. what I wanted yeah so accepting of it like if, if Drew was you know saying oh they checked me though not that they they can't verify what it is and Buck was just okay okay no problem like the Buck Showalter last year, he would fight for his players. I haven't seen that this year. I, I don't know if it's just because the team sucks or maybe it's just because I have, like, hater glasses on or something that I, I just – I don't know that the honeymoon phase with Buck is over. But I just feel like he was so – he agreed. He didn't almost say he agreed, but he was so, like, okay with what was happening that it makes me think that something had to be going on. Like, he didn't seem surprised at all. So it's just – I don't know, just the whole – Suspicion itself is very weird, but mostly on the Mets' part, not MLB's part. Because, again, I don't see it happening with other teams, but I've seen it happen with the Mets twice already this season. This is – it's very weird to me, and, and to be honest, with, with Buck not saying anything, I think I personally only remember that first series last year in D.C. of him standing up for us, and that was pretty much it. Like, I, I don't I don't really think he really stands up for us that much. And, and it took guys getting hit in the head constantly for him to stand up. Like, it took, like, an emergency. We love that word. This is a, this is a, a situation with, with Buck Showalter, and I personally don't think he's a good manager whatsoever. I never really thought he was a good manager. And the fact that he's just been grandfathered into this game from winning absolutely nothing in his career, there's a lot of instances where, you know, there, there's been some bad umpiring. There's been some this. And they cut to Buck. He's just sitting there. Like, he's just sitting there. And yeah, okay, we get hit. And even last year when they made fun of him, you know, they cut to him making funny faces. Okay, great. He doesn't even do it anymore. Like, he used to, like, death stare. I'm probably, he doesn't even do it anymore. He just seemed so, like, checked out. That's what I mean. I feel like there was some players that bailed him out a lot last year, and it kind of overshadowed a lot of his, his flaws as a manager. And now those players aren't bailing him out. 
and it looks really bad right now. Shit, I mean, damn, we couldn't see Drew Smith pitch for 10 days. I am heartbroken. I'm genuinely heartbroken that we can't see Drew Smith pitch for 10 days. It is, it's, a, it's a crime to humanity to miss this elite reliever. Uh, but, yeah, it's a 10-game suspension. And the, the thing, I guess, that hurts the most, it's not Drew Smith being gone. It's the fact that we can't have anybody come in and replace him. We're, now you got to play 25 men for 10 games. That's what hurts more. Drew Smith, who gives a shit. You're putting a shorthand, and this team, pitching-wise, is already shorthanded. And now you take at least a roster spot away from us that we can't put, like, a, a Lavender in or a Grant Hartwig. Now we got to play the next eight games or six, seven games with 25 guys. And just because of another umpire taking, take, trying to find control of the game, being like, oh, no, you hand is too sticky. But yet, you know, he can go to the MLB official and be like, you're good, dude. So maybe we need to go to the MLB official and have that be the guy that determines the sticky shit, not these crappy-ass, blind-ass umpires. Maybe that's something we need to discuss. Extra like follow-up question to you guys. I mean, what should the median actually be here? There has been a lot of contradiction with a lot of these new rules coming into place. I mean, we've only seen it with Max Scherzer. I'm pretty sure Domingo German got caught with it. And then now you have Drew Smith. I mean, the Mets have plenty of guys in the minors that got caught. That's the other thing, too. So, again, from an organizational standpoint, it doesn't... Yeah, I, I don't know what the seal, deal, deal is there. I mean, I understand wanting to use sticky stuff if I was Dylan Bundy. That dude is terrible. If I'm Drew Smith, I would try and prove that I'm not, not cheating and just give up a home run. Just go <laughs> ahead. I mean, we all know he's not cheating. The dude is terrible. Like, come on. He's awful. It's a loss to the roster, obviously, and it looked pretty bad when you had um, somebody taking a mental break because you had a 24-man roster at that point. We'll get into him later. To be honest, I think that there has to be some kind of median here. They have to have some kind of procedure or something that they go through. It, it can't just be your hand is sticky to me. This is it's, it's just not a good look, especially with a team that is not winning. And they're not using this. If they are cheating, they're not using it to an advantage whatsoever. So it just seemed like the most drama-filled two-game stretch I've ever seen of just the most biggest oddities ever. You had defensive miscues. I mean, you had all of these, these base-running mistakes. You had a steal of home because, of course, why not? And then you have Drew Smith. get. I mean, this is what I mean. Like, the amount of stressful events that go through a three, an almost three-hour game, and it's just not fun to watch. And even though I'm not a big fan of Drew Smith, I mean, I to be honest, I hope he gets caught again. But you know what? That's that's just that that's just me hating him. Let's get to the Mets Cardinals series, which is the most recent. Tyler McGill took the mound for the series opener, giving the Mets six innings of one-run ball with seven strikeouts. The Mets offense would jump on Miles Michaelis for five runs in the first three innings, headlined by a two-run double by Brett Beatty and an RBI single by Tommy Pham in the first inning. And then later on in the sixth, there was a slump-busting home run by Daniel Vogelbach, giving them a very rare, peaceful win in game one. In game two, Brandon Nimmo would greet the internal Queen's enemy, Adam Wainwright, 
on the first pitch he saw with a solo shot to right, his seventh of the year, but Kodai Sango would begin the game a bit rocky, giving up home runs to Paul Goldschmidt and Jordan Walker, but he would finish strong in 6.2 innings pitch to keep the Mets in the game. The Mets would fight back with a surprise two-run homer by Luis Guillorme to cut the lead to one, but that was all the Mets could really produce as the Mets bullpen coughed up insurance in the ninth to give a 5-3 victory to St. Louis. In the series finale, Carlos Carrasco started but did not last long surrendering six earned runs and three plus innings pitched but the Mets would fight back with a solo shot from Francisco Lindor an RBI triple by Eduardo Escobar and a two-run double by Brandon Nimmo to make it five to four Cardinals the bane of the Mets existence Paul DeYoung would get one back on a solo shot to make it six to four in the third before the Mets got a run right back on a Mark Hanna RBI single in the fourth then heading into the fifth inning down two, Tommy Pham stayed hot with a a two-run shot to right to tie the game at seven. But fast forward to the ninth, Nolan Arenado delivered the final blow with a solo shot off Adam Adovino to secure the series victory. The Mets now sit at 33-38, and 38, losing seven of their last nine three-game sets and dropping 12 and a half games back in the NL East. This was brutal. I mean, you start off the series well. You know, McGill pitched really good. I'm glad Velo was up, so it looked a lot more like last year's McGill which is something that we've been really hoping for with those mechanical adjustments and things like that. So got that out of the way, but again, not able to build on it. You know, the fact that they still wind up losing the series. And again, for multiple reasons, you had the errors on the base pass, Brandon Immel, you know, trying to go to third on Sunday. You had errors in the field, costing the unearned run against Carrasco. And then, you know, obviously the bullpen striking once again, you know, Curry goes a run out of, I mean, we've said our, our piece on him. One of the worst moves of the offseason, giving him a two-year deal. Uh, really didn't like that at all. You knew he was not going to replicate last year. And then the game before that, I mean, again, just finding multiple ways to lose. A bullpen tacking on insurance. Guys not coming through in big spots. And, and this team is just so ground ball heavy. And you hit into the double plays and things like that. So, And guys just underperforming, you know, whether it is uh, you know, McNeil, Marte, Lindor. I mean, all these guys, like you said, cars that bailed out. Buck Schultz last year, you know, the guys that were all-stars and things like that uh, have not looked anywhere near the same players, uh, and it really shows. And it's so frustrating when you go up against a team like St. Louis, who's been so, so bad this year. They've also really, really underperformed as well, but they're one of the few teams in National League that have a worse record than you, and they still took a series from you. So, I mean, St. Louis is a team that, you know, their pitching has just been so awful, and the Mets are not able to capitalize off of it. I mean, what did the Mets do against the Cardinals' bullpen? Practically nothing. You know, I mean, you had Jordan Hicks shoving at the end of games, but they really should have been able to uh, take advantage of the Cardinals bullpen like the way the Cardinals did to the Mets. So, uh, you know, just a, a lot of things are you know very frustrating about it. Uh, some of the roster decisions, you know, having Vogelback play over Alvarez and, just, you know, parking him on the bench, and then we'll get to Vientos later. So there's just a lot of things going wrong right now. And you know, when you get, like we said, when you get to this point of the season, you can't turn all around at once. And uh, this is just another example of that. Just another unacceptable, lackluster series. Obviously, I'm not in my normal location because I was at the game on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, they fucking shock. Another guy that needs to be given the shit stick. And that is Jeff McNeil. Oh, my fucking God. Every time, runners in scoring position. And I I don't, I don't want to see SNY put that stupid-ass... Well, he's hitting 304, 306 with runners in scoring position. He came up in the sixth inning, 
with guys on base in the tying run and scoring position in the eighth inning when again Oliver Marmel overmanaging as always hitting ground balls to second base hits it hard though and a ground ball hard hit to Paul DeYoung in the big situations. Single wasn't good but he battled through six and could have went seven but of course Bucks got to just overman it. Nope can't got to burn another reliever. Brutal again. That's pretty. And then today, Carrasco doesn't give you shit as always. After oh, maybe Carrasco's turning around. He's had three good consecutive starts. Yup, that shit right right away. Nolan Arenado, Jared Almer. All right, already down two nothing. Um, the bullpen was, you know, you're you're burning your pen. Like when when you've got guys like Carrasco, McGill for the most part, you're only getting Scherzer. You know, three innings. At, and when the bullpen was already middle of the pack to, at the start of the season. Now you're just burning through arms and burning guys where you've already burned a ghost. He's gone. He's in Arizona. You don't have a long man out there. You don't have a Trevor Williams safety net. So and you didn't want to go out and get a Ryan Yarbrough or anybody of the quality like that who can give you four to five innings a day. You know, you don't have that guy. You have Dominic Leon and John Curtis. Like, that's it. And and the buck over like we make I made fun of Oliver Marmol for over managing, but Buck's right there with him. That ninth inning yesterday, of course, you know, Adovino gives up the extra run, makes it a two-run game. Why the hell are you pinch-hitting Marcana with Guillaume on deck? Even if Lindor Homer's here, it's meaningless. It's a two-run ball game. And Canna's been giving you better ABs. Jordan Hicks comes in. He could have came in wild. He didn't. But a chance that, you know, Canna could draw a walk. And then you use Lindor because if you used him there, and let's say magically Starling Marte got the Arby game tying in or two run single, but two run homer. You got to make two roster spots because you've got to move, you got to take out Lindor, put him at short, and then you got to bring in a guy to play first base. So it's just complete over mismanagement and just stupidity at this point. Yes, Giorme hits this. Giorme has four big league homers. I've been in attendance for two of them. It's the beard connection. I fucking hate that guy. And then again, he's brought in for defense. Yes, Lindor obviously had his. Had his baby girl, so he wasn't going to be there. But ended up still showing up to work, but just booting a Buckner ball right at him, like it just patheticness. And oh, Buckner was like, "Oh, Giorme could give you a good AB. Giorme gives me good ABs." When ninety percent, when sixty percent of those ABs end up strikeouts, I don't give a shit how good those ABs are. It's not good. Just team just sucks. Like we tried to warn you guys in the off season that there were still holes that we were concerned about, and this is what happens. You're playing the Cardinals. This isn't, you know, Cardinal way, number one team in the Central. They suck. I watch them on a daily occurrence. They suck. And you made them look like they were two years ago, making playoffs every year. Yes, their pitching sucked, and, you know, you were winning shootouts. You know, we getting Paul DeYoung getting going. You know, he was going to homer. But that bullpen, you bailed out Andre Pallante, and Giovanni Gallegos, two guys that you should be destroying. You let them off the hook. Oliver Marmol taking out Adam Wainwright when he's been dealing, taking out for no reason, and you couldn't take advantage. This team sucks. Like it's, it's they're short and sweet, and I don't want to hear oh it's June. We're only, we're in the middle of June. That excuse so void. We are three weeks away from the All Star break. This team sucks. This team is going nowhere, and there's no trade value here. It's David Robertson, and that's it. You're stuck, and you're stuck in mediocrity, and you're not going to pull some magical run out of your ass like the Phillies did. You're not going to fire the manager, so you're stuck with this horse pile that is this team, 
We're going to keep watching it because we are we are just genocidal maniacs and we like watching the world burn and watching the same game over, over, and over again. There's nothing more you can say. This team just sucks. And the fact that you made the Cardinals look good bothers me. I, I, did, I did not have fun, I don't think, throughout any part of this series whatsoever. Even if um, Tyler McGill was pitching well, um, it's just, it wasn't even fun watching Tyler McGill whatsoever. Cause like, I mean, I've already talked about it. This dude is just a shell of what he was at 27 years old. How is that even possible? Adam Wainwright, how the fuck are we not hitting this guy and destroying this guy? I mean, the guy is throwing garbage down the dick. I don't understand why every time that Adam Wainwright comes to Queens, he just becomes like this invincible, magical. Well, so, so is Paul that young. I mean, there, there's countless players that just tend to do this whenever they come to. You know, Gene Segura, like, Met killers all over. I mean, I understand the Mets giving up crap to terrible players because their pitching is awful and they always just constantly miss spots. The problem with this is you keep getting golden opportunities to do damage, to show some excitement, to show any type of life. And even if they do show it, they piss it away immediately. There's so many stages, I'd say, in a Mets game this year. Every single inning feels like a different game. Carries out so, so long, even when they win. It's it's a three-and-a-half-hour sweat fest. It's just not, overall, what Andrew just said, it's not a good team. They're just not a good team. You have such a comedy of errors, which is going to be the title of this podcast, you have so many things that go wrong on this team, and it continues to be a trend when there is going to be a problem every single night. When the offense isn't there, the pitching is there. When the pitching is there, the offense isn't there. The bullpen disappears. Then the bullpen does fairly well in relief, and they don't score. And then the defense is starting to blow up, which has not been a problem for a while since Francisco Lindor came in here. And now, recently, has been so bad recently. Just terrible. They just look lifeless. They look like they're not even interested in playing the game of baseball. They look like a shell version of... Everyone on this team looks like a shell version of themselves. The same goes, I mean, for the manager. I mean, you don't see it. Uh, I know he had like, that one closed-door meeting. They won a game. Oh, my gosh. Continue no, he didn't. To... No, he didn't. He didn't have that. I don't believe that, to be honest. Okay, I mean, yeah, whether, again, whether it happened or not, I don't know. I don't really care. But what I do know is that we talked about they make mistakes, but they also make very silly mistakes a lot. You know, whether it's on the bases, in the field, at the plate, every facet of the game, they make very silly mistakes. And no one's ever held accountable. You know, I mean, no one is ever spoken to. Because they're all veterans. They're all veterans. They know how to right. play the game. That's why exactly that they got a whole bunch of old guys with, with the old guy managing them. But it's just like when there's no, you know, I don't want to say repercussions, but when there's no consequences for just awful play and silly mistakes and things like that, and no matter how bad you play, you still stay on the team. Hello, Daniel Vogelback. It, it's like, why would you have the sense of urgency? You know, because you, you still get your millions and no one's, no one's on you. You know, no one's putting you on the bench, you know, for a certain period of time. Like, I mean, imagine if, when Marte was playing really bad, he actually was on the bench for a few days. Even if the guy playing over him was terrible, at least, like, it makes you think. You know, like, no one, no one's job is on the line. I mean, all these guys, they, no matter how bad they play. And I just feel like for a guy who was just the manager of the year 
and is supposed to be the most prepared guy as far as managing goes, the team far too often looks unprepared because of all the mistakes that they make in so many different aspects of the ball game. And it's like, well, then what is the manager doing? You know, because we talk about the mistakes of the lineup construction, who plays, when pitchers come in, when pitchers don't come in, you know, just a lot of different things that we see. And then his reasoning for a lot of the stuff that happens, it's even worse. So it, it just, when, when you have all those things combined, it makes for overall very bad team. We're going to get to some of the other problems of just the whole organization in general later on, but you know, a lot of it starts at the top. You know, we talked about what good move has Epler made. And then we look at Buck Schultz not, I mean, what good move is Buck making right now? Let me, let me raise you another one on Epler yeah. for a second. Out of this entire roster, okay, what addition has he made of someone who is actually below the age of 30? I'll tell you the two. I'll tell you the two. Kevin Parada and Jet Williams. It, it's just full of veterans. It's full of veterans who they say know the game. He did it once. He did it before. He'll do it again. And, and the thing is that the Mets used to do that all the time under the Wolpons. I mean, we had... <clears throat> the Todd Frazier's and the Jay Bruce's of the world, and just so many guys who were past their prime. That Robinson they, Cano have a ridiculous leash. I mean, let's exactly. Like they were guys that a long time ago, you know, they were these stars and things like that. But now they're not going to make any more All Star teams. But we continue, we continue to see them go the veteran route of getting these old players past their primes. They're not going to be All Stars again. And it's just like I thought that with new ownership, those kind of things would change. You know the. So many guys that don't belong. I mean, we saw so many times Will Ponds where they had guys pitching who are not major league caliber, especially out of the bullpen. And it's like, okay, well, they're cheap. They're not actually signing guys. But we have the biggest payroll in history, and we still have so many players who just don't belong on the major league field. So it's just like, even though the ownership changed, I still see some of the same mistakes that are happening and that part is also really frustrating because i thought we were done with stuff like it just seems like the bare minimum is being done it just it oh, always yeah. just especially the deadline like i mean the deadline oh, the deadlines have been bare minimum the offseason yeah. was you know bring back the same team it, it has been bare minimum with just buck in general i mean I'm, I'm not really a fan of him i really just am not and i have not been a fan for a while the only real reason why i even backed off of him last year was because the team was winning but then towards the end i mean Every single time, every press conference, I can't, I can't point out specific things of this guy saying stupid shit because it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. What was it today? He's been proud. I mean, they've had these all these awful stretches of games playing terrible, and he's proud. If you're proud of a bunch of losers and losing, you need to go. You can't be proud because it's disgusting. You have the highest you're supposed to have these high expectations, and you lose. You play like crap, but you're proud. I'm disgusted. I don't know how he could be proud, but I'm disgusted watching it. So it, it just doesn't make there's sense. No, there's, Again, just no there's just no accountability. Whatsoever. There just isn't. You think he's going to, I mean, he, you think he's going to go up to, to Scherzer or Verlander and say, yeah, this is how you should be pitching. You know, you need to be better or whatever. No. You think he's going to do his, his arm around a, a, put his arm around a 40-year-old like Terry Collins did with Jacob deGrom? No, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen whatsoever. I mean, I've already, I mean, I've already said it that if you wanted to hire Buck Showalter and win a championship, that's not a combination that's going to happen. He's not a winning manager. He has not shown any possibility that he actually can manage. And we're seeing these stupid moves constantly of him overmanaging the bullpen, making all these stupid substitutions for no reason, like yesterday, 
bringing in one of your best power bats this season, doesn't really say much, and Francisco Lindor, down two. He's leading off the inning. What the fuck is the reason for that? Seriously? Because Luis Guillorme is going to be a great tying run. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Because Luis Guillorme homered off of an 87-year-old Adam Wainwright. He's going to do it again if Lindor goes on, gets on base. 100%. And also because he had a 22-pitch AB in spring training against this guy, that's the reason why. Because he did it once, he'll do it again. Don't go with anything of the hot bat or anything or someone who would be better in that situation. Go with the guy with the track record. Well, let's start and talk about track record. Buck Showalter, you have managed for 22 years. You've won nothing. You've won a few managers of the years. Great. You're fantastic in the regular season. Have a freaking cookie, James Harden. You're fantastic. Who cares? Yeah, as soon as he leaves, that's when the teams win the championship. That narrative's not going to work with us. Come on now. Like, oh, I, mean, I know that, but I'm just saying that, like, why is it that once he's gone, then the team actually... I mean, to be honest, I, I don't want to just shift completely off of, like, the Mets-Cardinals series, but, you know, it, it pretty much can all go pouring out of just how the current state of the team is right now. There's a reason why no one hired this guy after he was, after he was let go in Baltimore. There was a few years for that. There's a reason why. Because he's a long, perennial loser. He's a loser. All he does is lose. He may have experience, but it's not good experience. And there's a reason why this guy loses. Cohen wanted someone who was experienced. I, I think that's pretty much always why Buck Schultz got the job. Is that Cohen didn't want a rookie manager again. So he just took so I need someone a lot of experience. Buck Schultz, everyone seems to love him for whatever reason. I, I, I don't seem to love him whatsoever, to be honest. I just, I don't find him redeeming whatsoever. Handouts that this guy gets, it's just, it's, it's insane to me. And I'm sure we're going to get into it. Slowly and slowly, if this team continues to lose and lose and lose and lose even more, we're going to talk about Buck Showalter, but obviously there's a few things that need to be addressed before that. If you are wondering why Daniel Vogelbach was not in the lineup for a week, we did get a reason why. Over the last week, the Mets decided to give Vogelbach a mental break to work with the Mets hitting coaches to get him back on track. Buck Showalter said that during this stretch that Vogelbach is working hard, I've seen him behind the scenes, hoping we can get the productive player he can be, and we could really use it. Since returning to the Mets lineup, Vogelbach is two for seven with a home run, a single, and a walk, as his OPS currently sits at 669 after officially 150 plate appearances this season. So was he just like sitting in the uh, Krispy Kreme parking lot, just visualizing it? Is this what this was about? Like, what the hell are we doing here? A mental break. If we have somebody who's that soft for New York, you don't belong here. If you need to be like, oh, I need to take time away from the team to figure out if I like, if I'm still going to be good at baseball, that's a problem. And the fact that in those seven days that he was off, Mark Viento has only played two times. But back, just keeping it, I guess, strictly to Vogel fact. They have done everything in their possible way to make this work, and it's never going to work. He's fat. He's unathletic. He will not be. I don't give a shit. Oh, he walks. He's the only fat person that actually likes to walk. Good for him. I don't care if, oh, his exit velocity's up. He hits it into the ground. Who gives a shit? Enough's enough. It just proves that Billy Epler is a shitty GM, trying to get anything to say, hey, look, 
um, well, if you look at his on base, he still has a good on base percentage. Um, um, his exit velocities are still good, even though his launch angle is like negative seven. But, you know, he's hitting him straight into the ground. But, hey, it's a baller. He's Eric Campbell, who walks. Again, I will continue to say, if this guy wasn't fat, no one would give a shit about him. And it's not like in his career, he's been DFA'd three times. And it's been traded two other times. This isn't fucking, you know, Manny Ramirez in his prime. This isn't Barry Bonds. This is a guy who could easily be DFA'd and be done. Get a Luke Ritter as I troll. Get a flexible bat on this bench. Take your pick. Mendick, Marucio, fucking... Even Luke Voigt, who they just signed. I'd rather see Luke Voigt take some crazy hacks at it. At least he could hit, you know, more than one home run per month. Voigt walks just as much as Vogelbach. The definition of insanity is doing the same damn thing over and over and over again. And this fucking franchise is insane i've talked about Vogelbach probably like one or two times you know so far this year maybe plus about like what are we at episode 23 we haven't, we haven't touched on him that much to be honest we don't really talk about him that much to be yeah no i mean we're on episode 20 there i probably talked about him you know 29 times this year i, I mean i i just like it's like andrew said and if you're playing in new york and you need a mental break it's just never it's never gonna work even if you did get high like if you're that mentally if you're not that mentally tough at all how are you going to come through in the big spot in the playoffs things like that and he's a guy that's getting paid was like 1.5 million at most like cut your losses like he is not he has a big contract he's not getting big expectations and like you said like Epler, you failed get over it like why like two wrongs don't make a right like you made a bad move getting him but you're making another bad move by constantly playing the guy studying the growth of mark vientos and just continuing to like we say bad asset management they continue to do it they've had plenty of opportunities where they could trade Vientos. so we still had some you know it was pretty high prospect that had some value you could have got some good things for him but or you could have actually had Vientos play every day in minor leagues and show and get his value up or play every day for you and see what he's at the major league level you've done none of the above you just continue to do things that have made his value worse and made him feel worse as a player i'm talking about what a guy must be going through mentally. I feel bad for what Mark Vientos had to go through because of Daniel Vogelbach. Again, it's not like he's a guy that has a big reputation. He should not have the leash that he's had because folks have always done in his career. He had one throwaway year in Seattle in the juiced ball era, and that's it. That is literally all we've seen from Daniel Vogelbach. And what's that now? Four years ago? And again, it wasn't in a New York uniform. So even, again, like it doesn't matter. It's like you said with Max Scherzer before. What you did before, it does not matter. Once you get here, it's totally, totally different because we've seen it so many times. And, I mean, I say it every week, but, like, these players who they were good somewhere come to the Mets, they aren't good anymore. And then on the flip side, leave the Mets, hello, San Francisco Giants, and all of a sudden they play really well. So it's just like there is a lot of things that, you know, again, they could make all you want about how tough it is to play in New York. There's just a lot wrong with the organization in general. It isn't just the coaching staff. It's everybody because the fact of development, again, there is no development. Nobody comes to the Mets and becomes better. They only become worse. They have no guys who are guys you never heard of that all of a sudden play well. They have no guys that all of a sudden reinvent their career. It never happens. The Dodgers do it all the time. The Rays do it all the time. Brewers fix people. Ashes fix people. 
The great organizations do that. The Braves, Orlando Arcia, hello. I mean, they do it all the time. The Mets, has it happened like once in the past five years where the Mets just like got a guy, all of a sudden they made him really good? But no, it's always the flip side all the time. And, and it's it just happened for so long. And then, you know, you bring in Hogelback, it's like, it's not working. You know, do something else. I mean, you sign Luke Boyd, you put him in the minors. Uh, Gary Sanchez, another perfect example. He, he plays a couple games with the Mets, has bad defense, goes to Padres, hits a bunch of home runs. And, and it's just like, how many more times do we have to see it where it's like, no matter what you do, you just always find a way to do the wrong thing. And it's like we said, they find a lot of ways to lose, but they also find a lot of ways to lose off the field as well with the decision-making that they do and the way they develop and the philosophies that they have. Because we see a team that just loves to hit on the ground and we see a team that does not like young pitchers that throw hard velocity like other organizations do. They purposely assemble their teams different than everybody else, thinking that they're going to be better, but they end up being worse than everyone. So I just don't get who they think they're trying to fool, why they think they're so brilliant, because they're really not. And it, I just wish that they would accept it, move on, and change a lot of things. I think they're smarter than they actually think that they're the Raiders. Oh, my God. They're the Raiders. <laughs> Wishful thinking. When I first saw this mental break for him, the first thing that I saw was this organization's not serious. They're not serious. They're not serious whatsoever. They don't want to win. They don't care. They will put out any piece of crap news to the media just to piss us off. Like, it just looks like a complete joke from the outside of the doors of the front office or from the manager's office or whatever. My second thought was, are we talking about a different Daniel Vogelbach? Because again, I think you guys have already touched up on it here. What has this guy done in his career to get this type of leash? Listen, I understand them doing this when it was Robinson Cano. I understand them doing it. I wasn't agreeing with it because he was 37 years old and washed up. We all knew he was. But it took the Mets a while to realize that. But he has a track record of doing very well, having a Hall of Fame trajectory career before getting popped for steroids. Daniel Vogelbach. Okay, he's got somewhat plus power against righties at his best. He's been DFA'd twice. He's been traded three times. All those other organizations that have ran baseball operations better than you have given up on this motherfucker. And he's still here i know why it's because they're not trying to catch the same amount of flack that they did for the dan darren ruff trade every single one of those trades they haven't worked out they were all shit so they're continuing to hold on to this fat piece of shit who doesn't do anything i'm great he homered off a of Miles Michaelis or whatever the fuck his Michaelis. name is Michaelis, whatever homered off of him in garbage time Great. He hit a meatballer. Finally, someone on this team hits a meatball. He is not good. He doesn't fit here. He doesn't help the lineup. Even if he does produce, he's not going to produce enough. He was brought in here to hit homers against righties. Or so I thought he was. We're not seeing it. We're not going to see it. We're not going to see that consistently. The most one-dimensional player is still here. It's incredible because I thought for a week with all of these pitchers that the Mets are facing that have that Vogelbach has had it actually a pretty decent career against, he wasn't starting against him. I was like, okay, maybe we're done here. Maybe we're done. But no, 
they flip it around and say, nope, this guy is getting a mental break. The guy is getting a mental break while playing in one of the biggest markets in all of sports. Do you understand why I say that this team is unserious? I feel like there's no self-awareness whatsoever in this front office. I don't say that this capped it off because, I, I mean, I've, I've pretty much known it for a while. But this is actually insane. But we don't really usually see these types of hot streaks, especially from role players like this. We usually take it when we get it. I don't understand the long leash for this guy who has done the bare minimum in his career. Maybe that's maybe that's the reason why Billy Epler likes him so much, because he's also a bare minimum player. He's a bare minimum GM. Now, speaking of the DH position, there was another transaction that involved the designated hitter, and that would be Pete Alonso returning to the lineup yesterday. But in the corresponding move, they did option prospect Mark Vientos to AAA Syracuse. Since his call-up in mid-May, Vientos has had just 49 plate appearances with scattered starts at DH, first base, and third base. Mets manager Buck Showalter said that Vientos needs more ABs down there, and if it's meant to be, it will happen. Billy Martin told me a long time ago, you can't mess up the good ones. <sighs> Deep breath. Okay. Andrew. I mean, where, where do you want to start? I mean... Wherever it takes you. Just wherever it takes you. Oh, okay. So Buck Show, again, the, the leader of men that is our manager... This great quote today. It I, f I feel bad for. Well, I forgot. The, you know, oh, Vento's not playing every day is bad for his mental ability or his ability in general. No fucking shit. The fact that you had him sitting on the bench, just you know, you called him up. Then like again, he's not Beatty. He's not Alvarez. Where he needed to be once he gets called up in the lineup every day. He's not on that level of prospect. Where Beatty and Alvarez and Marusio eventually, hopefully, God forbid that happens. Got to be bench for Luis Guillorme. That is the world we live in. Oh, my God. But, again, he was not on that level of prospect. But the fact that you trot out Daniel Vogelbach at DH, like, in the last segment, and the greatest quote is when they called him up, oh, we can't play two third basemen in the same lineup. As soon as I heard that when he called him up, I'm like, yep, this is, uh, Mark's not going to get much reps. And sure as shit, the just annihilation of an asset. Like, again, I'm not a big fan of the guy. I didn't, you know, some were like, oh my god, this is, you know, he's next Pete Alonso. Shut the fuck up, he's not that. You know, is he a power source? Yeah. Could he be a productive power, you know, Miguel Sano? That's a good comp. You know, guys that strike out a shit ton. It's a couple homers, but that's what he is. He's not this generational guy. But the fact that this organization, Tommy Pham when he was sucking, Dan Vogelbach, Darren Ruff in, in spring training, have, have put all of these below average, bum-ass jabronis ahead of this guy. They're not just, all right, kid, we'll see. you get two weeks. They didn't even give him a week. But think just two weeks, say, hey, you're playing every day, sink or swim. They didn't even do that. They said, you're going to play today. Uh, you're going to sit for like nine days. You'll play tomorrow. You'll play back-to-back -back games against two lefties. And, again, this great front office and, and management staff thinking, 
you know, if we were supposed to be a buyer at the deadline, you know, how power hitting upside bat, you know, somebody would find interest in that. You know, if he's hitting 40 nukes, you know, Chandler Redmond in Springfield, like, he's interesting because he's got like 20 homers right now in double A. Hmm, that's an interesting, intriguing option. And instead of just showing the asset, and again, when you play him in the big leagues, kind of expose that he's not that great of a hitter. And again, with Brett and, you know, a first baseman locked up, not give the kid the shot and say, you know what, if he's good, we're going to run with him. But also not thinking about, hey, if we were competitive at the deadline, we want to make a trade. We're not trading Brett. We're not trading Alvarez. We're not trading Ronnie. You know, probably trade a Parada yet. So this probably would have been the trade chip. You've already killed all the value we had before. You know, he had all the value in the world when every day it seemed like he had a triple A homer. Two run double, two run homer, moon shots. Now MLB teams see him as like, oh, you know, oh, Buck Showalter, manager of the year, you know, manager. Oh, he didn't trust me. He's not that good. He was rotten away on the bench. So, again, not only have you stunted his growth, but absolutely just killed his trade value for future assets. And not looking, again, worrying about today, not worrying about tomorrow. Just the story of this team going, we're going to push it all in with a bunch of dinosaurs and seeing what happens. You notice why dinosaurs went extinct. Yeah, I mean, I've complained about the way they've handled the Ensos time in and time again. But uh, just the way they continue to do it, I mean, since the beginning, the team was struggling offensively last year at the end of the season, particularly against left-handed pitching because Daniel Volkenbach can't play against lefties to add just to tackle him a little more. He's very, like we said, one-dimensional. Darren Ruff was getting the job done. So they had to call Mark Vientos, who was raking in the minor leagues, and a bunch of home runs like, oh, we should, everyone's saying we should call him up. We should call him up. They call him up. He wasn't ready. He only played for a little bit of time, didn't do well. Okay, so he starts the end of the minor leagues. Once again, hitting a ton of home runs. And this team needs home runs. And everyone's like, call him up, call him up. We need that power. They call him up. And, again, he doesn't get to play. So what's going to happen now is he's back in the minors again. He's going to hit a ton of home runs again. And this lineup that the Mets have right now is going to continue to not hit home runs. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to be right back. Like, even though they set him down, he'll be back soon. I mean, because Vogelback, don't get fooled by the one good at-bat that he had. He's not going to all of a sudden become this big-time productive bat. I mean, we've seen what he is in a Mets uniform. And what bothers me is just that, like, the team we know could use a little more power outside of Pete Alonso. And it's just not going to happen with the guys that they have on the roster right now. McNeil is not going to become a power bat. Nimmo, we've seen some spurts lately. He's been doing all right. Marte, it's not going to happen. I mean, we just have so many canna. Like, we have so many guys in here that you know what they are. They're not big-time home run hitters. Vientos, at least there's a possibility. At least there's a chance that he could be a productive power bat for you. And it's like you had every opportunity to play him, particularly when Pete Alonso got hurt. When that happened, I said the guy I'm watching is Mark Vientos. He has a chance to play every day, whether it's at first or DH. He at least has the perfect opportunity to be alive every single day. But instead, they gave it to Canna. And it's like, what? What? I mean, how is Vientos ever going to play on this team? And that's why I was always so frustrated because I said, if you have Beatty, who's going to be your third baseman? And if not Beatty, maybe Ryan's your third baseman. Why don't you just trade Vientos? You know, if, you, if he doesn't have a role on your team, Trade him for someone who does fit your team better, whether it's an outfielder, whether it's more young pitching. 
starter or reliever, fine. But it's like the way that we talk about just bad asset management, they've done everything wrong that you possibly could when it comes to handling Vientos. And it's just so frustrating because they continue to do it. He's going to be right back because this team is going to still struggle to hit home runs outside of the, the guys that we talk about. You know, Alonso is going to do it. Alvarez is going to do it. Lindor every now and then. Other than that, no one else is going to do it. So, I mean, it's just, it's just how else is it supposed to happen? And so I just don't understand what their plan is with him. And it's like, if he didn't play before, I mean, how is he ever going to play? I mean, what? It, it's just like, they've. I don't understand why Vogelback has gotten so many more opportunities than Vientos. Like, like we said before, what has Vogelback shown to you that he's proven that he deserves so much more playing time than Mark Vientos and that consistent playing time? But besides his weight, like, I mean, he just doesn't have anything going for him. So uh, I've just been very frustrated because it's something that we kind of saw coming. But it's just like we're going to be in the same problem a third time where we're going to be like, wow, this guy's got in the minor leagues. He's got a lot of home runs. We can use that. Speaking of hitting the ball pretty hard, Mark Vientos, if you put the qualifying plate appearances of what he got, which is 49, seventh in all of Major League Baseball and exit velocity. He's had some trouble lifting the ball. Um, you know what really helps that? Playing him. It's a crazy concept, I know. At this point, from what we've seen in the last few weeks since he's been called up. This was the right decision. Have him play every day. This is stupid. Am I upset that he wasn't played? What? Absolutely. Every single time this guy got a hit, they benched him the next day. He hit a 115 mile an hour piss missile nuke off of one of the best fastballs in baseball against Garrett Cole. Bench the next day. Daniel Vogelbach needs a fat boy mental break. Still benched. They did everything in their power to bench this guy. They put Mark Canna at first base just to bench this guy. They put Eduardo Escobar in the lineup against lefties, even though we're kind of told that Mark Viento should be the guy against lefties. He's shown the best quality of contact of all of our, our prospects overall, struggling, and he's not getting the results because he's not playing. I don't, again, I've said this already. I don't know if he's a good major league player because he's not playing. He isn't playing baseball games. It's just ridiculous. The fact that we don't, we didn't see this guy at all. And the alternative shouldn't even be considered because they've been so bad. The ones who play like shit, who are veterans, get the long leash. The young guy shows a little bit of promise. You've done too much, kid. Sit down. Constantly shows that this team is so hung up and have such a massive ego that they want their old guy moves, which are all old guy moves, like I said earlier, to work. Guess what? They're not fucking working, and they're playing worse and worse and worse. You have no youth on this team. You have absolutely no youth on this team, and you sent another one of them down. And I don't even want to clamor for Ronnie Mauricio anymore, to be honest. I don't even want to see him this year. I don't even want to see him in the major leagues anymore, to be honest, because they're not going to play him. Why would, they, why would you just have the guy sit on the bench? Just sit there for no fucking reason. Have as many appearances in the game as the bench coach. Why would you have the guy up here? What's the fucking point of that? I don't want to see Ronnie Mauricio up here. I don't trust them with their process. I don't trust them with anything, with anything whatsoever. It continues to be the wrong move they continue to make 
the wrong move 99 times out of 100. I'm, I'm glad that he's in AAA now because he's not playing. He wasn't playing. What was the fucking point? I mean, what was the point? And we all know they're not going to give up on Daniel Vogelbach because they gave him a, a full-on mental seance or whatever the fuck they did. Strong when they have four prospects right now that could contribute at the major league level. And when they were in there in that limited time, they did. They did contribute. They did well. They impacted this team fairly well. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just it's just Epler having so much of a, a, a claiming puddle off of all of his moves and wanting it to work so much. Or Buck is just full on senile and thinks old people are all good. Because he just he just quoted Billy Martin. So you don't want to mess up the good ones? I'm sorry, Buck. Do you realize that do you think that they just we just have no there's no fans? There's no Mets fans that exist that don't hear what you're saying? You don't want to mess up the good ones. You just did. You're doing it. He needs more ABs. Play him! I don't get it. I don't get it. I never will. One of the biggest conclusions that you can make from this season is that the Mets pitching has been really, really bad this year. There is no denying it. In 2023, the Mets pitching staff is 26th in earned run average, 27th in fielding independent pitching. They have the second worst home runs per nine in the league, and they are 29th in wins above replacement. The Mets are also getting outscored 52 to 21 and playing from behind in 49 of the 71 games played this season after the first inning. We have gone on this for long enough. I understand that there's a pool of talent that is not there, that is making it look very bad. But to be honest, I think that there is some long-term things that go on with this topic. Jeremy Hefner, is he in the hot seat? This was supposed to be the Hefner cheating lab, right? This was one of the guys that we pushed for, like, this is the guy we want to build. You know, this guy could build our pitching, you know, pitching lab. Him and the, they brought the guy in the driveline. We're thinking, okay, this is what we can build those cheating, you know, building those guys. And what has he done? He ruined Tyler McGill, which you guys, have, you know, Mets fan has made pretty fucking clear. He's ruined Tyler McGill. He, has he fixed some veterans? You know, has David Robertson pitched? Well, yeah, you know, but he's 39 years old. I don't think Jeremy Hefner's telling him much. Brooks Raley, Justin Verlander, you know, and you can make the argument, oh, the, you know, you've seen the worst version of him under Jeremy Hefner. Yes, they're, you know, AARP membership members, but, you know, under the Hefner pitching lab. You know, and there, like Frank said earlier, he really hasn't developed anyone out of nowhere. He's been put on number one, fixed Drew Smith. He's taught him to throw a cutter. He's taught him to throw a slider. He's taught, he's taught him to throw the whole damn box of pitches, and he still couldn't fix it. He can't, again, we can't find and develop these kind of quality arms. Jeremy Hefner, the, the delivery boy himself, he needs to take some flack for this pitching staff. Because it's, it's just like kind of how Eric Chavez took the heat offensively last year at points. Hefner needs to be under some heat here. Because this is the guy that a lot of people vouch for, saying this is the guy that can fix the pitching lab and develop some guys. And he just clearly hasn't. So, and he's ruined Tyler McGill. You know, David Peterson sucks. There's really not much to ruin. We all knew he sucked. But, like, Tyler McGill went from going, throwing 96 consistently, 98, 99, to, like, now he's throwing, like, 93. And he's like now taking a six foot seven guy and telling him to be like, you know what? Just throw sinkers. It's okay. You know, don't try to throw hard at all. So he has to take some heat for that, you know. But also he's not the one pitching. You know, but he's not helping the pitchers that do suck. You know, he's not doing he's not giving those guys a chance. So I think definitely he needs to be on the hot seat as well with all the other coaches. This is not just a one thing, one side of the ball thing. There's all kinds of problems, but definitely Hefner especially with this pitching staff and the bullpen, 
serves him heat. Yeah, I'm, I'm of the belief that uh, there's multiple people at fault here, uh, but he's definitely part of it uh, because, like we said, uh, I really like the example Andrew used of we've seen the worst versions of pitchers, and the particular thing is you know, Verlander and Scherzer and uh, just their overall inconsistencies and, again, just like how many pitchers have pitched poorly. You know, I mean, the Mets have gotten some guys who – have a little bit of potential, but they never find anything in any of them. Uh, they all continue to struggle. Uh, and again, we still haven't seen like anyone come through. It's like Edwin Diaz, he was the best closer in baseball before the Mets got him. So you didn't do anything there. Uh, I mean, when Bryce Montes Oka, if he's ever healthy and is successful, he was good in the Myers before Jeremy Hefner even knew who he was. So I just I and then Adovino, it's like oh you know he fixed Adovino last year oh my gosh and Adovino sucks again so was that Hefner fixing him or is that just a veteran reliever having a fluky year that happens every year all over the sport so uh, I I I don't see anything I could give him credit for because it's like if you de- if you haven't done anything well then you've just only done bad and I think that again it just comes to as a whole organization, they don't develop people. And then I'll give you a perfect example. A guy's pitching right now as we're recording this. John Wimkowski, remember him? He got traded in the Khalil Lee trade. Was a guy who was absolute, wasn't ranked highly in the best prospect at all. He got 240 ERA now. You know, that'd be nice uh, to have that in the bullpen right now. But I feel that with the way the Mets developed their pitchers from the minor leagues all the way up to the top, he would never be nearly as successful. I have zero faith. Zero confidence in his organization because, like I said before, I see all the time where they can't develop anybody, but then they go somewhere else and they're great. So I think that, you know, not only is it Hefner as the pitching coach, I think it's the pitching coaches in the minors. And I think it's, you know, the people that are whoever's up top in the front office in the pitching, you know, like department given instructions on how to develop guys. All of them need to go because, again, they do nothing well. I mean, this team is awful in starting pitching, relief pitching. Every every aspect they have, no, and like we say, yo, maybe Vassal's on the rise. But other than that, they have no arms on the way. I mean, we've just seen so many absolute bums, and then it's like we have to keep bums on here, like Tommy Hurd. We kept him as long as we did because we had no alternatives. We had nobody coming up. They could just they can't turn anybody into a quality pitcher. Not a single guy. Not one. I mean, they they went this offseason. They got all these different arms, and you know what? Some of these guys got hurt. But still, none of them stuck. None of them. They all have – I mean, Brigham, he has stuff, but he continues to blow game after game after game with the long ball. And, and that's something that you can't – like we see with Drew Smith, you can't fix that. If you've got a home run problem, it's not going to work out as a high-leverage reliever. So I, it's just that we've seen just so many things go wrong. How can I keep Hefner and give him any credit? You know, I need to bring in someone that can at least make somebody improve find something in a young arm. And again, just bring in more young arms organization, develop them well from the beginning in the minors. This way, Jeremy Hefner can't mess it up or he's not already given a bad pitcher. Like you give him a good guy who he can just keep where he's at. That's all we need. But the fact that they can't even do that, it's just bad on on every level of the organization. As far as when it comes to pitching and the way that they develop it is just done so poorly that everyone needs to go, not just Hefner, but all of them. Simply put it, fire him. I, I really have had enough. I mean, I would say that Tyler McGill is probably the final straw there because, like, he was the only, like, guy who looked like a somewhat of a young ace that we could bring in. And even though I know there's some that don't agree that he could possibly be an ace, he looked like an ace at the beginning of the year. 
looked fan freaking tastic. Overall, they just completely messed it up completely. And they talked about how he was making mechanical adjustment. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He absolutely did not. It's just the the Cardinals suck. Like that. That's literally it. That I mean, fastball still dropping seventeen to eighteen inches. I mean, come on. They were so worried about a twenty-seven-year-old staying healthy. Great, fantastic. Every single explosive arm, every single great arm that we have, he's either ruined or they've gotten hurt. Bryce Montes de Oca. We all know that it was walking a tightrope. We knew that he had a violent delivery or whatever. Jeremy Hefner didn't do anything about that. He didn't do anything. He didn't make any any adjustment to possibly keep this guy healthy whatsoever. And I know damn well, Steven Ridings, he's about to come back up here. Fastball at 95 now. I understand that he was hurt, but some guys, when they get Tommy John surgery or whatever, they don't lose velo completely. Some of them throw even harder. Some of them throw even harder. And this guy, Ridings, he's not old. He's not old. He's young. 28, 29. At this point, you look back on it, one guy who was absolutely nothing came in here. The Mets made him better. Is there one? No. No, there isn't one. There is not one, right? Edwin Diaz, okay, fixed Edwin Diaz upward tilt in a slider. He was one of the best relievers of baseball before he came in here. Adam Adovino fixed his slider. Great slider. He's not hanging as many sliders. He's doing it now. He was one of the best relievers in baseball before he came here, in, like earlier in his career. David Robertson, he's done such a fantastic... He's had a great career. Carlos Carrasco looked good last year for a majority of the season. He's had a good career. It's like, it's like giving Epler credit for, you know, re-signing Trout. Like, wow. Oh my gosh. No one would have thought that. Let me raise you another one. I would not be surprised if he's one of the reasons why Jacob deGrom got hurt so much. Or maybe why DeGrom didn't want to come back. I don't know. Maybe he is the reason why DeGrom didn't want to come back. I don't know. Because I remember Jacob deGrom being a fairly healthy pitcher before Jeremy Hefner came here. 2019? He wasn't here for 2019. 2020, 2021, 2022, 2017, 20, uh, 2016. He was injured before, after, you know, after maybe. Still, still giving you a full season sample at this point. What, what can you say? I understand he's being dealt a bad hand. You have a lot of shit pitchers here that that are they're not they're not fixable. They're too out. They're they're too you know they're not good. They're just not good. But like, there's no one he's made better. So what the fuck is the point? I think that he's the first head that's got a roll. I don't think there's going to be much of a difference when he leaves because of just the old talent that's here, or lack thereof. And it's become a massive problem as the pitching staff that they brought in has gotten older. Anybody that he's possibly helped, you can give credit to, they've been good before, somewhere else. Any other pitcher that they've moved away from Jeremy Hefner, they're fantastic. Let's not forget the amazing praise that Trevor May gave to Jeremy Hefner when he was in Minnesota. Yeah, he looked fantastic with us. And I would not be surprised. They let him go. Nobody else brings him in. All right. Everybody's favorite segment now. Studs and duds. One player that has played fantastic in the last week that we want to give flowers to. One dud who has played like absolute shit. We want to toss under a bus and light on fire. Let's start with studs. Totally not going to be biased at all. It's Brendan Beatty. You know, ground balls are higher, but he's getting hits. And RBIs, two-run double against the Yankees. Two runs double against the Cardinals. When I'm in the presence of Brett Beatty, two opposite field ground ball singles. Guys just doing living life, you know, getting the RBI, starting to feel comfortable again. So, for, for, you know, I'll let somebody else take the obvious pick. 
I'm going to go with my boy. Hey, Frank, what's the similarity between Daniel Vogelbach, ABs, and Andrew Acevedo? Is that they both have a lot of bad takes? You're going to give it to a guy that's probably like a one-time only kind of thing. Um, I'll give it to Tommy Pham. You, you know, uh, he, he could have got it last week, but I said, okay, let, let me see you do it again. Uh, and he did, you know, uh, the fact that he hit the really – and it finally was a big hit. That, that was the thing I was waiting on for Tommy Pham. I wanted to see a big hit, a hit that really made a difference in the game. And he hit the one today against the Cardinals – and I'm not mad because the bullpen sucks so much, but the fact that he was able to get a big time clutch home run that the team really needed ended up not mattering. But uh, he's all week long been driving in runs. Uh, he said it in one of the post game press conferences, I believe it was on Saturday, that uh, he wanted to prove everyone wrong that he was the expectation of a fourth outfielder. So I really like that. Um, and I, I think that we'll see what happens when the team is fully healthy if he does just flat out take Canna's job or. If Marte goes back down the tailspin, if he flat out takes Marte's job, uh, I would be interested to see how that goes. But he's continuing to play well, uh, hitting home runs. That's what we like. You know, good OPS, getting RBIs. We like that. So uh, I'll have to give it to him. I'm going to give it to Dominic Leone because recently he's actually been nine straight scoreless scoreless innings or something. He's looked pretty good. He's gassing 97 again. His slider looks crisp again. I mean... You know, I, I'm not still not a fan of giving this guy a major league contract because they had such a huge um, tell of wanting to have cost-controlled warms in this bullpen, and now they just don't want to do that now. Let's get to the wider selection of duds. Jeff McNeil, watching this game live, four ground balls. And this is not just live. It's not Saturday. This dude is just ass. Like, at least Luis Arise wins the batting title last year, and he's better, you know. Luis Arise almost has as many homers as Jeff McNeil. And he had one for like six months. He finally had his second one the other day. McNeil has three. And this is supposed to be a batting champion. He's supposed to, you know, and if I see SNY put that stupid-ass graphic of, oh, he's hitting 307 with runners in scoring position. Jeff McNeil is so clutch. And I see him roll over another ground ball to second base. I am going to lose it. Like, this team sucks. He is a small reason of why this team sucks. There are other proponents of why this team sucks. But when you have a supposed batting champion who is supposed to be a big clutch performer and being a high leverage, he's not producing. You're starting to see it on the field again uh, with the, the outbursts when he's not playing well. Uh, he, he's even looked poor defensively, particularly in the outfield as well, which is something I, I don't expect out of him. So um, there's just been a lot of things going wrong for him. Uh, and he's someone that I do worry about when he gets in a slump because he's someone that because of – how frustrating and how much he could press that he can continue going bad. So uh, he needs some breaks. He needs some cheap hits to get him back on track, honestly. Uh, and then he could relax and be able to get back to what he's capable of. As far as my dud, uh, I'm going to go with Mark Hanna. When Pete Alonso got hurt, the Mets' best player, the Mets' answer was, let's just have Mark Canna play first. We signed Luke Voigt. We have Mark Vientos on the roster, but we're going to give it to old man Canna, who just went right back to being Mark Canna of 2023, not doing anything, not even drawing walks, not doing anything productive offensively, and stunting the growth of young players and keeping this team really uh, – I'm trying to think of the word here, but they're preventing it from really developing more where you have a guy who is just the exact opposite of what this team needs. This team does not need more guys who are just looking to draw walks and don't swing the bat. You know, they have so many of those guys already who aren't power hitters. You have this opportunity where you're, you're putting them at a power position, a first base, 
and you use him over the other power options, a guy who's way past his prime continues to get worse every year, and he just struggles, and they're okay with it, and he has an infinite leash. So uh, I got to give it to him because uh, the fact that they definitely hurt those other guys in the process, it has to go to him. All right. Um... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna aim at the obvious, uh, maybe probably just recency bias, but Carlos Carrasco. How long are we gonna do this? I, I really just don't know. I mean, I understand he's supposed to be the five, he's not supposed to be great, he's not the but you get nothing from this guy. You get nothing. It's just batting practice for two innings and he just dies. Like, what is the point of him being here? Like, I really don't understand, especially with I mean, I'm not a big fan of Jose Budo, I'm not a big fan of Joey Lucchese or whatever. But I know that they could give me or get to five. I know they could possibly get to five innings. This guy doesn't. And another thing that I'd love to I'd love to point out here is one of the biggest things in his entire career, never walked anyone. Now, all over the place. The dude's elbow is fucked. All right. End of story. The guy is not good anymore. And since Mike Vassell did get blown up in his triple A debut yesterday, it's gonna continue longer and longer your weekly rapid fire stories the Mets have signed Luke Voigt to a minor league deal and have assigned him to AAA Syracuse the 32 year old Voigt was DFA'd by Milwaukee earlier this year the Mets have also signed veteran outfielder Rafael Ortega to a minor league deal Ortega is 32 years old and was slashing a 712 OPS with the AAA Iowa Cubs the Mets have also signed left-handed pitcher Matt Minnick to a minor league deal Minnick is 27 years old but has yet to pitch this year due to injury he has been assigned to double a binghamton after being released by the yankees earlier this year the mets have promoted pitching prospects mike vassal to triple a syracuse and Kristen scott to double a binghamton vassal struggled in his triple a debut this week and scott dominated in his debut with six innings of one run ball the mets have reinstated right-handed pitcher steven ridings and have optioned him to triple a syracuse ridings was claimed off waivers from the Yankees in the offseason and began the year on the 60-day IL with a lat strain. Former Mets pitcher Steven Nagosik has signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Nagosik was designated for assignment by the Mets last week and refused the assignment to elect him to free agency. Parting words for episode number 23, the Javi Baez episode. Michael Jordan, if you want to go more general. Going to Houston, see the defending champs, and even though they're wounded as hell, um, you know, Verlander. Gonna get a silent award, probably most likely this this trip, which is cool. And uh yeah, let's not suck, but this team does suck, so just don't be dog shit. All I want to is a little more sense of urgency. Whether that's from the manager or from the players, show me that you care. Or whether it's from the front office or from ownership, like if more people get sent down or released or things like that. I wanna see that you guys are not just okay with continuing to tailspin and falling further and further out of the playoff race. So uh, show me something different so that I I could feel better that and not just feel worse and have less and less hope. So give me hope. Show me something new. Win some freaking games. And like we always say, just don't suck. That's all we ask. Just be confident. Uh, I'm looking out on Twitter. There's a post that says the Phillies have won 13 of the last 15. Braves have won 13 of the last 15. And the Marlins have won 12 of their last 15. For the Mets, I'm just going to put the Mets gave Daniel Vogelbach a mental break. I don't even know what to say. What what has to be said at this point? They just look completely lifeless and try to be a little bit more, less lifeless. When is rock bottom? That's all I'm asking because they're they're torturing me every single 
day. Other than that, thank you guys so much for watching, listening, episode 24 next week. Let's go Mets. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>